Lots of great job. Levi, come back. Because I'm going to ask you to take the basket. And if you could, Andrew, if you could take the other basket and if you could help collect offering. The offering today is going, is going towards the local church budget um, for the Melbourne City Adventist Church. And um, as you can see, our church is growing in terms of, can you imagine, you know, remember a year or two ago when they, um, you know, were standing up here trying to sing. And now they can read, which is great, <laughs> um, when they can read the lyrics and, and sing along. And so, um, yeah, it's fantastic to see what God can do with our little ones, but also what God is doing with our church. Um, we have our Bible study group, which is growing, and uh, we, we have distributed we have these bible study books that cost about uh, 12 dollars each and i think we've distributed about 15 of them and so um, that's the kind of thing that your money is going towards is, is providing bible studies um, and also providing opportunities for us to have bible studies together and to continue to learn about god so thank you for for giving today um i've lost my sermon let me I don't know about you, but it's been a crazy week for me <laughs> and um, and our family. Just been very hectic. Um, just uh, I think it's the weather compounded with just life. You know, it's mid year. It's June now, um, and it's just come to this point where I just feel. Don't you ever feel like there's this big flood and you're just being swept away in it, and you're trying to swim and you're trying to keep on top of things um that's kind of how i feel at the moment and so i'm i'm, I'm really praying that um today as we focus our minds and attention on god that we can experience the peace and that we can experience the um security that he provides as we consider the topic of where is your hope where is your hope one of my favorite movies um i guess of all time but especially when i was you know at uni age um, it's a movie called Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a 1994 film about a main character named Andy Dufresne who um, basically is imprisoned for a crime that he says he didn't commit. And um, he's given two life sentences to, to uh, fulfill, which means he'll, he's never going to escape Shawshank re uh, prison, a high-security prison. And it's a story about him and... Um, the other inmates in the prison, especially one named Red, whom, who becomes his best friend in this, in this movie. Now, spoiler alert, I am going to show a scene from the movie. Um, don't worry, it's not going to give away too much, but James, if you could show it for us. It's a short little clip. For his little stunt, he gets two weeks in solitary confinement. And when he comes out of the confinement, you know, his um, fellow inmates ask him, was it worth it? And he says, easiest time I've ever done is that I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. He said the music was here and here. And he said, that's the one thing they can't confiscate ever. We need music so that we don't forget that there are things in this world not carved out by gray stone that there's a small place inside each one of us they can never lock away, and that place is called hope. And hope um, becomes a theme in this movie. And, you know, when you, when you consider these inmates, um, and in this story, Andy, who day after day, month after month, year after year, right, for the rest of your life, 
you're in prison. But what kept him alive was hope. Hope. What is hope? What gives you hope? What keeps you going day in and day out when you wake up in the morning, right? What do you look forward to? What gives you hope as you're going to bed about tomorrow? What helps you endure the challenges of life, whether it's the bad weather, difficult people, or depression and anxiety? What gives you hope? This morning, I want to present to you that we have a hope that can endure any difficulty that comes to us, that we have a hope that gives us motivation and purpose in life. And I want to present to you that that hope is the hope in God's word, that he does love us, that he can save us, and that he is coming back. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we need hope this morning. We live in a world that is so broken and so chaotic that it sweeps us along and breaks us and confuses us and distracts us from what's really important. And so, Father, this morning, give us hope. Give us a clear vision of the kind of hope that will endure and the hope that will give us purpose each and every day. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to especially be with me at this time. Um, as I share your word, Father God, may it be clear and may it speak directly um, into each heart exactly as you want it. I pray in your son's name. Amen. The year was 1400 BC, give or take a few years. And the city of Jericho was in a state of panic, which is a very unusual place for Jericho to be because Jericho was situated in a very prime location right next to a spring that never ran dry. So in the middle of this desert, this arid place, Jericho was an oasis. Jericho was flourishing. They had such great agricultural success that now they were able to have a good merchant class. They had aristocrats. They had thriving culture. They had built stone walls um, 3.6 meters high, 1.8 meters wide. Inside the wall was a stone tower 8.5 meters high and 9 meters wide. In fact, over the years, they had built a second wall of mud brick all around the city. The city lay 270 meters below sea level and so had lush vegetation. And because of its favorable location, the city of Jericho was one of the oldest cities in the world. In fact, the city of Jericho, is, is a, is, there's a modern city of Jericho today, and the ancient site, this is the, some of the pictures from that area, um, are right next to it. And it's one of the oldest cities known in the world, 8,000 to 9,000 years old, um, according to the scholars. And so here are these residents of Jericho who are wealthy, who are, who are comfortable, who are secure, but they are terrified. They're terrified because they've heard about this group of people named the Israelites. And they've heard about this God that they serve who have brought them out of Egypt, decimated the Egyptian army, parted the Red Sea, walked through it, and they have conquered the kings of Ammon, uh, in that region, and they have now crossed the River Jordan again miraculously, and they're marching towards Jericho. And so the people inside the city walls are terrified. 
They're talking about when the Israelites are going to come. They're closing the gates. The council have decided that they've doubled the security and they are wondering what's going to happen, waiting for the Israelites to come. And this is where we pick up the story. If you have a white Bible in front of you, it's page 180. Otherwise, you can turn to Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 1 to 24. And um, it's not all going to be on the screen. So if you can turn to your Bibles and follow along with me as we read Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 24. Page 180 in your white world changers Bibles. This is a New Living Translation. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, So the two men, Joshua, who is the leader of the uh, nation of Israel, has sent out two spies. So these two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab hid, had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, and if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River, and as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family, since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the man agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she led them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the, for, from the men who are searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go on your way. Verse 17, before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet robe, rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. Verse 21. I accept your terms, she replied, and you sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. So this is a, it's a fascinating story, right? Here's this woman who's a prostitute who is the one person in Jericho who is willing to believe in this God she has never known before. And she's saying, hey, I'm going to side with you because I believe that your God is the God of heaven. I believe that your God is going to come and conquer this land and I want to live. 
So she makes this uh, covenant with these two spies. She is, lets them escape, and she says, "Hey, when you come to conquer this land, save me and my family." And they say, "All right, we will." If you leave this scarlet rope hanging from your window. Now it's very interesting when you look at the original Hebrew, because the Hebrew word for rope that is that is、uh, translated rope in English is tikva. Which actually means hope, and so the English translators have have said scarlet rope, but it literally is the scarlet hope of thread is how the literal、uh, Hebrew there is. They say hang this scarlet thread of hope out your window, and she says, "Okay, I will." And that scarlet. Rope for her is hope. Not only is it hope for the two spies who use it to escape, but it's hope for her that they will keep their word. It's hope for her that their God will indeed save her and her family. That's all she has to go by, is their word. So she hangs that scarlet rope out of her window, waiting and watching for the Israelites to come. How many days? The Bible doesn't say. But as she waited, right, she made sure her family huddled inside her room. She she never let them out because she knows they have to be in this room. That scarlet rope has to be hanging out when the Israelites come. Can you imagine as the Israelites came then and started marching around? She has that hope. I'm going to be safe, and my family's going to be safe because of this scarlet rope. In Joshua chapter six, you can read what happens when the Israelites come and march around the city. And you know, archaeologists in the 1900s have found evidence of these walls and their destruction, and they have found evidence that it was a sudden attack. They have found food that、um, were buried were buried with the walls, and they have found evidence that the city was actually burnt, just as、um, Joshua ordered. In fact, Dr. Bryant Wood, an archaeologist at the University of Toronto, wrote, "When we compare the archaeological evidence at Jericho with the biblical narrative describing the Israelite destruction of Jericho, we find a quite remarkable agreement." Of course, scholars say, "Oh, perhaps it was an earthquake," but the Bible records say that when the Israelites marched around the city after seven days, on the seventh day, they they blew their trumpets and they shouted, and the walls came crumbling down. Probably God did cause that earthquake, and then they went in and attacked, and they burnt the city down. But of course, not everyone was destroyed. If you go to Joshua chapter six, verses twenty-two to twenty-five, which is page one hundred and eighty-three in your Bibles, Joshua chapter six, verses twenty-two to twenty-five, Joshua the leader tells the two spies. He says, "Keep your promise." Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasure of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house, because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. You see, because of Rahab's hope, because she put faith in the word of these two spies, 
and she acted out on her hope and kept her family inside that house. Not only did they all get to live, but they began to be a part of a new community. She becomes adopted into the Israelite community. Fast forward 1,400 years, thereabouts, and the circumstances have changed. Israel had become a great nation, but by rebelling constantly and consistently against God, they have now been conquered. They were taken into Babylon, um, and then they returned back to their land, but they're now under the foreign rule of the Roman Empire. And for centuries, the Israelites have, been, have had one hope, the Messiah. Prophecies had foretold that there would be a Messiah who would deliver them. And so the Israelites, year after year, baby after baby, they're waiting for the promised one. And then 4 BC, the Roman Emperor Augustus decrees that a census should go out and that everyone must return to their ancestral towns to register. So a carpenter named Joseph and his pregnant fiance Mary go down to Bethlehem. And they have a baby named Jesus, who actually, the name Jesus, is the same Hebrew deriv derivative for Joshua. Joshua and Jesus, they both mean he saves. Means Joshua, means Jesus or, or Yahweh, the Lord saves, God saves. And it's very interesting when we look at Matthew chapter 1, because there's a genealogy of Jesus. And, you know, in the Bible, sometimes we skip over the genealogies, you know, blah begets blah, the father of blah. And we think we, you know, our eyes glaze over. We're like, okay, next page. But when you look at Matthew chapter one and you look at the genealogy, which is on page 771 of your white Bibles, there's a very interesting record of the genealogy of Jesus. So Matthew chapter one, verses one to six. And again, I'm going to be reading for you. Not everything is on the screen. From verse 1 to 6. This is uh, Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus, who um, is writing down the record of Jesus' chosen genealogy. And he says, This is the record of the ancestors, ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Onwards and onwards until he says Joseph, and then, of course, Jesus. And, you know, usually genealogies in that day only had the names of the men. But here we have a genealogy where there are names of five women. We have Tamar. We have... Um, Rahab, we have Ruth, who was also a foreigner. We have Bathsheba, and of course, Mary. And it's so interesting when you look at this genealogy, because here's Rahab, who was a prostitute from Jericho. But she married um, 
stories say, traditions say she married one of the spies. So there's a little love story, right? One of the two spies that she married one of them. And from that um, ancestry came Joseph, the father of Jesus. When you look at how Rahab and Jesus um, have that lineage together and you look at the, the prophecies about the Messiah, here's the interesting fact that brings them together. Matthew chapter 12, page 781. This is a prophecy from Isaiah given hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus about the Messiah. He says, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world. You see, Jesus has many names. Messiah, which means the anointed one. Prince of Peace. Right? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus Christ, the Savior. But here's another name. The hope of all the nations. The hope of all the world. You see, the Israelites are waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them politically from their foreign power. But Jesus comes to spiritually free them and all of humanity from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of selfishness that dominates the world. And how does this do this? How does Jesus free us? And how does he give us this life? The Bible says that it's through the scarlet hope, the scarlet hope. Hope. If you go to Romans chapter 5, which is page 907 in your Bibles, Romans chapter 5. Paul, who was one of the early Christian missionaries, talks about how Jesus is our scarlet hope. He writes, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. It's so interesting when you look at that scarlet rope of hope that Rahab put out the window. Because throughout um, the Israelite history, God makes that scarlet thread a very important symbol. In the sanctuary system that he instructed uh, the Israelites to construct, he told them very specifically to make scarlet, blue, and purple thread and to weave it throughout the curtains of the sanctuary. Furthermore, he told them to weave the scarlet, purple, and blue thread into the ephods and the special robes and, and um, outfits that the priests wore who served in the temple. And that scarlet thread of hope represented the blood of Jesus and how one day his sacrifice, as it says here in Romans, would enable us, who are like Rahab, right, in a city that's doomed, 
that we get to put out that scarlet rope of hope. We get to claim the blood of Jesus for ourselves and we get to live ourselves and our families because of what Jesus provides, Joshua or Jesus, our leader who is able to save us. Jesus is our hope, not just for eternal life, but for the daily life. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know what? Um, because of Jesus' sacrifice, I'm saved, and therefore I have eternal life to look forward to. Well, what The wonderful thing about what God does for us is that he not only gives us eternal life to look forward to, but he gives us the daily life to look forward to. In other words, he gives us a purpose for each day. So not only do we have something to look forward to in heaven or after this life, but we have something to look forward to tomorrow. We have something to look forward to this afternoon. Because he gives each of us a purpose in line with his greater story. Just as Rahab had a very important role to play, just as the spies had a very important role to play, just as Joshua had an important role to play, each one of us is given a role to play in God's work of saving the world. Perhaps we are like the ones, we are like Rahab who who are helping others in their moment of, of need. Perhaps we are like the spies who are sent to to go and scout out an an area and and look for ways to help God's kingdom grow. Or perhaps we are like Joshua, called to lead others to Jesus. God has given each one of us a special personality. He's given each one of us a special gift. He's given each one of us a special purpose and opportunity. Only you can reach the people that he has placed in your sphere of influence. Only you can reach those friends and colleagues and family members that he has placed in your care. You have the scarlet rope of hope of Jesus that you can hang out and that you can utilize to save those around you by sharing the good news of Jesus. When I look at the early Christians and I look at how they had to face incredible persecution for their hope in Christ. It makes me wonder, what are we living for today? They had to fight lions and gladiators in the Roman Colosseum for sport. They were killed by the hundreds. And yet each one of them was willing to go through it because they had this hope that Jesus Christ was living and that he had a purpose for their lives, and that he was going to come back soon. Paul, once again writing to the Romans, this time in chapter 8, encourages the believers who are becoming tired of running and hiding and fighting, right? And he had this to say, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. 
but we look forward to something we don't yet have. We must wait patiently and confidently. Right? He's writing to them saying, hey, I know you don't have what you're hoping for now, but that's the whole idea of hope. You don't have it yet, but believe in God's word, that his word is true. Just as Rahab had to trust the words of the two spies, right? that was all she had to go on was their word. We have the word of God and his promise, and we have to put our hope in that, that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says that he will do. And even though we don't have lions to fight today, we still have battles to fight, don't we? We have the battle of our inner voices that say that we're not good enough, that we're not strong enough, that it's not worth it. Battles with our temptations to follow the world in pursuing happiness in, in all their worldly forms rather than pursuing Jesus and his kingdom and his righteousness. Battles with relationships that are difficult because we are all broken people living in a broken world. Battles with health, battles with finance, battles with expectations and disappointments. But I want to encourage you today that just as Joshua fought, right, we have to be willing to fight the good fight. We have to be willing to trust in God's word and his power. It's very interesting what Joshua did when he actually fought. Because when you look at Joshua 6, it talks about how God tells Joshua to actually just march around the city. Joshua and all the 40,000 plus soldiers, they just marched around the city. He says, I want you to march around once every day. And then on the seventh day, he says, I want you to march around seven times. And can you imagine how silly they felt? There's actually a VeggieTales movie. And one of the songs where the French peas are on the castle top. And, and they're like, you, you think by marching around the city, you're going to bring the city to our knees? And he says, you, you know, see a little pickle, you see a little cucumber. He says, you, surely you're dehydrated by this hot sun. You're crazy. How is marching around the city going to you know, bring down our, our immense fortress? So even though they were terrified at first, as they see this group just marching around, they're thinking, oh, they're not going to get in. They're not getting anywhere. So then they continue to, they, they put down their guard, they relax, and they start parting it up, and they think, these Israelites, all the stories we heard about them, they were just stories. And everyone now thinks, ah, they're not a threat. Except for Rahab, who faithfully hangs that scarlet hope of rope out the window. And even though others might have said, Rahab, you're crazy. They're not going to be able to get in. And even if they did, they're not going to save you. She knows. They're coming. And they're going to take this land. And I'm going to be safe because I've put my scarlet rope of hope out the window. And they're going to keep their word. You know, sometimes the world might look at us and think we're crazy. They feel very safe and secure. And they think, God's word, it's not going to come true. He's not going to come back. Or it's not going to be as you think. The word of God, just stories, they'll say. We might feel sometimes, hey, is this, is this really going to work? You know, is coming to church and reading my Bible and, 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 and following God, is it really worth it? But I want to encourage you. Yes, it is, because whether we realize it or not, God has a plan. God has a plan. And we need to put our hope in Jesus Christ. We need to fight the good fight, like I said, not necessarily by clenching our fists, 
but by obeying his word. His word, that sounds crazy, like marching around the city. But it showed, ultimately, God is the one who won the battle. Joshua and the Israelites just had to obey. And sometimes what God asks us to do, it's, it's not something that uh, makes sense at first. But God says, just do what I ask you to do and trust me. And watch and see the salvation of the Lord. So on the seventh day, when they march around seven times and, they, and God says, blow the horns and yell, and they do. And then the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. There's a children's song that says, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Every time we sing it, Joshua goes, I'm Joshua. <laughs> he thinks the song is about him. Um, but, you know, that song reminds us that Joshua fought by simply marching around and the walls came tumbling down because that's what God does. When we obey God in the things he asks us to do, even if they don't make sense to others, and even though they don't even make sense to us, if we trust in God's word and obey, he will make whatever Jericho walls we've got in our lives, whatever giants, whatever things that we're, we're struggling with, those walls will come down. Those challenges will melt away when we trust in God's word and put out that scarlet hope and when we follow him at his word. Paul endured stoning and whipping and imprisonment and ultimately death because of his faith in Jesus. And he's writing to his intern, Timothy, towards the end of his life. And he says this. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. You see, when you have no hope, you stop fighting, right? You give up. But Paul says, don't stop fighting. Don't stop trying. Don't stop working and doing good because our hope is in the living God. He goes on to say, people who long to be rich, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. You see, Paul knows ministry is hard. Service is hard. Doing the right thing is hard. Making good choices is hard. Waking up on a cold Saturday morning to come to church is hard. Giving up, sacrificing your finances, your time, your talents, Right? Your resources is hard. Loving an unlovable person is hard. Sharing your faith is hard. But he knows that if you do these things, if you cling on to that rope of faith, if you cling on to that hope that is in Christ Jesus, he knows you will be safe. You will have life. You will have community. You will belong to the family of God just as Rahab had. Our hope is our anchor that keeps us from drifting through life. It keeps us 
from just going with the flow, and it gives us a purpose and a direction that lets us swim against the current. So if you're feeling a little bit blah today, if your days have been tiring, you feel weary and unmotivated, I'm going to share with you three of my favorite Bible passages. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This promise was given to the Israelites during a time when they were weary. When they had um, fought battle after fight, battle, physical battles, and had lost. And in fact, they had rebelled against God so much. God had warned them, hey, don't rebel against the king of Babylon. They rebelled anyway. God says, don't rebel. They rebelled again. God says, don't rebel. They rebelled a third time. So then the king of Babylon says, forget you. He comes and wipes them out, burns the city, takes them back to Babylon. And so they're left now, this desolate city of smoke, of ashes, and all the people gone. And it is at this point, God says, I will renew your strength. And it is at this point that God, through Jeremiah, gives this beautiful promise very well known. He says, you'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I'll gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I'll bring you home again to your own land. That Hebrew word hope there in Jeremiah 29 is once again tikvah, that hope, that rope, right? The thing you cling on to, the thing that gives you life and purpose and future. And so Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, right, he's, he's seeing this burnt city He's seeing the ashes. He's seeing how all the houses are empty because everyone has been taken to Babylon. And he's weeping. The entire book of Lamentations are literally just cry after cry after cry, right? But in the middle of that book of tears comes Jeremiah's hope. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Despite whatever situation and circumstance we're in right now, I want to remind you, as long as there is life, there is hope. And as long as there is hope, there is life. We need hope to live, really live. Right? To, not, to not just go through the days and uh, groan in the morning, uh, groan at night, thinking about tomorrow, but to live 
with purpose, to live with expectations, to live with direction, to live with hope. That kind of living hope gives us life. At the end of that movie, um, Shawshank Redemption, again, I promise this isn't completely a spoiler because you still don't know really what happens. But at the end of the movie, the main character, Andy, leaves a letter for his friend, Red, that says, remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies. And it is my prayer that this week, as you hope in the living God, that that living hope will give you new life new motivation, new passion, new direction, that each day you will be able to wake up and know it's a new morning. God's mercies are new for me today. His faithfulness is new for me today. What can I do for him? And as a result of that renewed experience with God, may this week be a a week where you truly live with purpose and live with meaning and live with peace. May God bless you. Let's uh, please put him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being our living hope, for giving us purpose and direction in this life that often can feel just so gloomy and dreary. And Father, I pray that in this city of Melbourne, we would be like Rahab, faithful to you, despite how the rest of our culture is, despite how the norm is, that Father, we would have our faith in you. And our hope would be that anchor that gives us life, that gives us purpose. Even though we might live differently than the rest, even though we might be um, persecuted, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to know that this is, this is really what, in the end, will give us true meaning. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us strength this week, that you would renew our strength like an eagle, that you will help us in our weariness to give us new life, to give us that new hope, Father. And Father, I pray that as a result, the others um, will be able to see the hope that we have, that they would see the joy and the peace that we experience. And that, Father, we have the privilege of sharing your story with them as well. As we go into discussion, Father, be with us. Uh, May your Holy Spirit enlighten us as to how we can apply this to our lives. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.